0: Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 29. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you can say that with you and your spouse, it was love at first sight? Anybody? Okay, there's a few in this room that could say, yes, it was love at first sight. Did any of you um, look across the room at your future spouse and declare right there on the spot that you were going to marry them? I hear stories about that all the time. I met was when I was in the 7th or 8th grade, and she was in the 6th or 7th grade. It was not until we were in college that we went on our first date. And let me tell you the kind of romantic I am. It took just four dates for me to fall madly in love with her. Oh, that's right. Now, let me be honest, it was one date a year for each year that we were in college, okay? But I'll never forget the day that I knew she was the one. We were in Florida at youth camp, I was the interim youth minister at the time there. And, and Danny was one of my youth workers and Sunday school um, leaders. And I remember that week watching her interact with the students and the adults. And man, just something happened. I remember looking across the room and I had one of those, just my heart just started racing. And I knew right then on the spot that she was the one. And, and I know that some of you don't have stories like that. Um, a few of you may have been repulsed by your future spouse when you saw them for the first time. But this morning, what we're going to see is we are going to see a love at first sight moment between Jacob and Rachel. This occurred when Jacob arrived in Haran. Jacob, we know, was a little rough around the edges. It was his sin that forced him to go to Haran in the first place. But as we looked at last week, when he was about 50 miles into his journey, he had a divine encounter with the Lord. He saw a ladder um, descend from heaven, and he saw angels going up and down that ladder, and he saw the Lord at the top of the ladder. And as far as we know, this was the first time Jacob would have had an encounter with the Lord. It was on this day that the God of Abraham became his God. The God of his father, Isaac, became his God. It was also on this day that the Lord would give Jacob a massive promise. Notice what we read in Genesis 28, 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I I promised to you. That moment would change Jacob's life forever. It would also give him a purpose in life. This morning we're going to see Jacob arrive in Haran, and we're going to see the Lord's prince done wrong in so many ways. We're going to see this morning Jacob the deceiver become the deceived. The one who deceived his brother and his father would get a taste of his own medicine. Notice our first point this morning. It is this, God guided Jacob's steps. So let's read in verses 1 through 11 together. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and the water of the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you, not, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, it is well with him. They said, it is well. Then see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled back from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Okay, so remember from last week, there are two reasons that Jacob was going to rent. Okay, the most important reason, he was going to find a wife. Secondly, he was going to escape his brother Esau. You remember what Esau wanted to do to him? Wanted to kill him, right? Wanted to kill him because he stole his father's blessing. So after his encounter with the Lord that we saw in in chapter 28, Jacob resumes his journey toward Haran. He's got about 450 miles to go. So notice the journey. We read in verse 1, then Jacob went on his journey. This literally means that Jacob lifted up his feet. The idea here is that Jacob had a new spring in his step. If before Jacob was on the run, now Jacob is on a mission. He's prepared to get to Haran, to find a wife and begin living out his purpose. You know, I think all of us know this. Life can be very rewarding, can't it? But life can also be a struggle at times. There are always some storms and some struggles and some unexpected roadblocks along the way. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all encountered some of those roadblocks. For Jacob, he's going to encounter a roadblock. That roadblock that he encounters is going to be in the person of his father-in-law, and that roadblock is going to last about 20 years for him. So notice what we see next. Before he encounters a roadblock, he's going to meet the love of his life, and he's going to show off for her. So Jacob gets to and, and he arrives at this well, and he sees a group of shepherds just lounging around. And he wants to know if these men knew Laban and if Laban was well. The idea here is probably along this 400, 500-mile journey that he was on, he would come to wells along the way. Those wells were kind of like the local watering hole or the local gas station. You'd arrive there, you'd say, hey, how much further do I have until I get to Haran? So he comes to this well and he asks these men, hey, do you know Laban? I'm sure he's asked it a dozen times, and finally he gets the answer that he's been looking for. Yes, we know Laban, and he says, how is he? Man, he's well. In fact, you see that woman over there? That woman over there is his daughter, Rachel. And so we saw what happened after he encounters uh, or sees Rachel. Rachel comes Uh, upon the scene. And what should have taken a group of men, Jacob shows off for this woman, and he moves that stone away by himself. Men, you want to impress your wife? Man, show her how strong you are, right? You know, some of you have done that in the past. Some of you like, man, if I try to do that now, I'm going to hurt something, okay? Um, But Jacob, man, he showed this Beautiful woman, just how strong he was. I love what Keith Krill shares. He says, isn't it amazing how strong a guy can be when he wants to impress a woman? This task should have taken several men, but once Jacob sees Rachel coming with her flock of sheep, he single-handedly rolls back that stone. He wants her to know just how wonderful he is. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of men do when they see the love of their life for the first time. They kind of show off, and they kind of bow up a little bit. They want them to look a little bit stronger than they really are. So after, after um, Jacob demonstrates this, this mighty work before his um, future bride, then we see a kiss. In verse 11, we read, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. I think it was a love at first sight kiss. Yes, custom back in these days were to kiss those that you, that you came across on the cheek. But, but I don't think that that's the kind of kiss that, that Jacob really got here. I think Jacob got a little bit more than, than just a, 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 a standard kiss. Man, we're told that he kisses her and then he weeps aloud. You know, I love when I officiate weddings. Now, I love watching the bride and groom get that first glimpse of one another at, for that very first time. I've seen the, some of the manliest of men break down and cry when they see their bride for the very first time. Some of you men, when you saw your bride walk down that aisle, you may have gotten those same kinds of tears. Well, we're told here that, Rachel, or that Jacob kissed Rachel and then he began to weep out loud. Notice what happens next. We see here there's a disclosure that occurs in verses 12 through 14 we read, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. This family has the ultimate family reunion. How many of you still do family reunions? Anybody in here? couple, not many. I remember growing up, man, we always had a family reunion at least once a year with one or the other side of the family. I think that's what these this family has, is they have a family reunion. I'm sure that Jacob would dis- disclose to Laban all that God had been doing in his life, in, in his mother Rebekah and father Isaac's life. I'm sure they talked about the family's wealth. I'm sure they talked about the the. The family's blessing. They may have even talked about how Jacob deceived his father and got his brother's birthright. Many that I studied speak to Jacob being a prideful man. He was a man that got everything in life that he wanted. He got his brother's birthright. He got his father's blessing. Jacob may not have had any material wealth at this time, but he has been promised two massive things, right? The Abrahamic promise and his father's great wealth. And as a result of this, and because of his encounter with the Lord, Jacob probably drips with self-confidence. Having self-confidence is important, but if that confidence turns into pride, then you better watch out. I think we all have encountered um, people that are very prideful in life. They weren't always prideful, but but something happened in their life where they became, they thought, invincible. And, and and in the book of Proverbs, Solomon warns us against this. In Proverbs eleven two we read, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. In Proverbs 16, 18, we read, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Other translations um, put it this way. Pride comes before the fall. In Proverbs 29, 23, we read, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Instead of allowing your self-confidence to turn into pride, allow your confidence to be grounded in the Lord and in his word, right? Now, there's one thing that is missing. From Genesis 29, there is not a single mention of the Lord in this entire chapter. Jacob could have certainly disclosed to Laban all that the Lord had been doing. And that could have certainly been recorded in this chapter, but we don't see any of that, do we? Solomon would also write in Proverbs 3, 5-6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. When we leave God out of the big picture, that's when we're going to have problems, right? Here's what is going to happen to Jacob. He's going to learn that sometimes it's better to keep your mouth closed. Don't miss this little line recording, recorded in verse 13. Jacob told Laban, all these things, I think in his boasting, he shared too much information with Laban. Laban knew that he had come for a wife. Laban also knew that the hand of God was all over him. And also, Laban knew that Jacob had absolutely nothing to his name. So what is Laban going to do? He's going to milk Jacob for everything that he is worth. Notice next in our second point, Jacob works for Rachel. In verses 15 through 20, we read, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. So Laban appears in this passage to be a pretty benevolent man, doesn't he? He wants nothing more than for Rachel to marry Prince Jacob. Men, what would you have done if when you asked for your bride's hand in marriage, when you faced your father-in-law, if your father-in-law told you, well, how much is she worth to you? What would you have said? I see Tiffany just turn and look at Jeremy over here. Jeremy, what would you have said? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. But what would you have said? I mean, in this passage of Scripture, what we learn is that for Jacob, she was worth at least seven years of service. So for seven years, Jacob worked for Rachel. That's 2,555 days. That's a long engagement, isn't it? And some of you in this room, your engagement was like that. Others of you maybe went a year or two, but you probably didn't wait seven years before you married your spouse. If you, yeah, we'll go, never mind. Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was Leah. We're told that she had weak eyes. What in the world does that mean? The word for weak here is a word rack. It means tender or soft or delicate, but that really still doesn't tell us what it exactly means. Some have suggested that Leah had bad eyesight. We don't know, but regardless, what we do know is that Leah did not catch Jacob's eyes, but Rachel did. Then we see Jacob's love for Rachel in verse 20. So Jacob searched seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Man, I bet some of you ladies, when you read that, you just kind of think, aw. Man, they just seemed like nothing to him. You know, when I um, look back on the almost 26 years of marriage to my wife, I can honestly say they seem like they have just flown by. Now, for her, she may be like, no, it's been 26 years and I've been counting every single day. But for Jacob and Rachel, they had a special love for each other, didn't they? Notice what happens next. Laban deceives Jacob. In verses 21 through 30, we read, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Billah to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Laban shows his true colors here, doesn't he? In fact, he proves that he is one of the most ruthless men in God's word because of what he did. Instead of honoring his commitment to Jacob, we read of this switch. You may wonder how Jacob could have been so clueless on this night of his wedding. How did he not realize that Laban has switched sisters on him? First, remember, this was before the incandescent light bulb, okay? Um, so most likely, if there was a light on in that tent, it was probably a little um, oil lamp about the size of this. It would not have generated a whole lot of light. And also, it was apparently the custom from what I read for a bride to wear a veil throughout, um, throughout the night, and so Jacob truly may have been clueless as to who it was that he had, had, he, that he had wed and that he had subsequently slept with as well. But I, I do have a question. Where was Rachel in all of this? How in the world was Laban able to keep Rachel away from the love of her life, Jacob? Did he like hide her? Did he throw her like in a dungeon or something? We don't know, but we know ultimate deception happened on this day. And there was a switch. Now, when, when, when Jacob calls out Laban for this, Laban has an excuse. He said, well, hey, the custom is that the older is to be married before the younger. Poor Leah, right? In a land most likely full of men, there was not a suitor found for her. What Laban did was wrong. And in the weeks ahead, we will see that because of what he did, severe consequences would come his way. For Jacob, he would get a taste of what it was like to be deceived. He knew now how his dad felt as well as how his brother Esau felt. Have you ever kind of experienced what Jacob experienced? Have you ever got a dose of your own medicine? Probably if we look back over our life, we can say that we, that we have, right? We've done somebody wrong and, and we have been done wrong as well. Well, that's what happens whenever we take our eyes off of the Lord. That's what happens when we, we, when we live independent of the Lord. Consequences come. And that's what Jacob would experience. So after his honeymoon was up with Leah, we're, we're told that, that Jacob finally gets the reward. He finally gets Rachel to be his wife, but there's a catch. He has to serve his father-in-law for another seven years in return. Laban was a master manipulator. He got exactly what he wanted. Both of his daughters are now married off. He gets free labor and Jacob. And for Laban, he probably thinks, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Now, how many of you see a lifetime problem with what we have read and studied in this passage? Jacob has two wives, doesn't he? Not only does he have two wives, but each of those wives would get maids. Those maids would turn into mistresses, for Jacob. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a whirlwind ride as we go through the next few weeks together. Even though we see some of our heroes in the faith, of the faith in Scripture, take more than one wife, know that that was never God's plan for any of them. God never blesses that, God never signs off on that, God never approves of that, but yet we see it in Scripture. God's intention was for one man and one woman to come together for a lifetime. So Jacob has two wives, and he loves one more than the other. I've already given a title to our next message. It's going to be entitled Bride Wars because that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a war happen within this family. And it all began because of a father-in-law that took advantage of of his future son-in-law. The love between Jacob and Rachel makes for a great love story. All the other things that come from this story demonstrate just how deprived and depraved we are as humans. We know that Jacob's love for Rachel was special, but even their love for each other pales in comparison to the love that the Lord has for each of us, doesn't it? His love is a perfect love. His love is an eternal love. His love is a forgiving and gracious love. His love is so great that he came and dwelt among us and died for us. If you don't know of this kind of love, then I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that if you do that, you shall be saved. Our takeaway this morning is this. Sometimes God will put difficult people in our path. How we deal with those people will show others what kind of character we have. Difficult people are going to come our way. Here's my challenge for all of us. Don't be that difficult person for other people. Demonstrate the love of Christ to each person that we encounter. Again, if you don't know the Lord this morning, I want to invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and there's a decision you need to make this morning— I want to invite you to come. Let's let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you again, Father, for the privilege it is to gather in your house to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we do thank you for the story of Jacob and Rachel. What a love story that was between those two. Father, we also know that within this story, Lord, there's a father-in-law that is just plum evil and does many evil things. And those evil things that he did are going to prove to be consequential for him as well as for his, his family, his future grandchildren. Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room will be men and women of integrity. Men and women that seek to do other people right men and women that seek to share the love of Jesus with those that we come in contact with. Father, I pray this morning again, if there's someone in this house that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, move now during this invitation for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's a decision didn't you make, you come.